All right, so I want to do something a little different this morning than normal. Um, it won't be a straightforward exposition from 1 Thessalonians 2.13, though we're going to start there. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles to that passage. But today I want to speak to you topically, if you will, and pastorally, starting from 1 Thessalonians 2.13, in order to, to encourage and equip you today. I think that it's appropriate to do this from time to time as a reminder and uh, something that we need as Christians, as a congregation, to uh, keep our minds focused on God's mission for us. So let me read the text in just a few moments. But before I do that, I want to start off by asking you what I think is a highly important question. And here it is. What is the church's mission in the world? And I do hope that you realize that you as individual members of Christ church have a mission to fulfill through the church. I hope you understand that's that's why you're here this morning. Um, there is a meaningful and an intentional reason that you're here. God left you here after converting you for a purpose, his purposes, to declare his glory in the world through the church. There's a reason that you're here. You ever think about that? I mean, Christ could have saved you and brought you immediately home, but he left you here on purpose, his purpose. And so I want to show you uh, why I think specifically that you're here and what the mission of the church is, as I see it in Scripture. And uh, it's this. The church's mission is to reveal God's great worth to the world. And I believe that the Apostle Paul would agree with the answer to my question, that the church's mission is to reveal God's great worth to the world, and that's what we want to do accurately here at Sovereign Grace. And that's what I believe that the Apostle Paul is giving thanks for at Thessalonica. Go with me now to 1 Thessalonians 2.13 to see that. Let's read this text and, and then think about a couple of other questions I want to ask you. In 2.13, the Apostle Paul writes, And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So in this passage, you can, you can see that, that Paul is giving thanks for their testimony. For the testimony of the word that's at work in the church. And, and what did their testimony reveal about the word and about God's great worth? Well, go over back to chapter 1, 6 to 8. This is what he's giving thanks for. The word did something in the lives of the saints at Thessalonica. Something very tangible, something very visible. Something very God-exalting and worthy of his name. Look what it says in 6 to 8. This is why he gives thanks. He sees the word doing this. It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. What a great testimony that is. Look what the word did in the church there at Thessalonica. This is what he's saying. It's obvious that you receive this as what it really is. It's the word of God, not just the word of men. Look at this. Look at how they received it. They received God's word. You can see it in 6 through 8. They received it joyfully, in much affliction, yet with joy. They, they received it personally, and they shared it personally. They went to become examples to all the churches around them. And they received it, and they shared it, and then they proclaimed it evangelistically to the culture, to the surrounding cities. The reception of God's word testified and revealed to others how much God was worth. That's what he's giving thanks for in 2.13. And so, so with that in mind, let me ask you a practical and more pastoral question along those lines. That's their testimony. What's our testimony going to be as a church? I pray that it will be this. I hope it will be this. We want it to be the same as that of the Thessalonians. We want it to be that we have received God's word joyfully, even if it comes through affliction, and that we'll share it personally in the congregation, and that we'll go out into the world and proclaim it evangelistically to the nations, because we want to declare how much God is worth. If we've received it, we want to share it here in the church and in the world. That should be our testimony. But if we want that to be our testimony, if that's what we desire, then you've got to go back to the question I asked at the very beginning. And we need to look at it in more detail. If we want this to be our testimony and we want to understand how to display this, we've got to understand what the church's mission is in the world. What is the church's mission in the world? Or what in the world is the church's mission? Right. So think about it. And here's a simple, simple answer to to my question. And it's an outline to what we're going to cover today topically here. And I want you to consider this. The church is in the world to reveal God's worth by number one. Receiving God's word joyfully. Coming to a congregation and receiving the instruction of the Lord from his appointed means of preaching and teaching and doing it with joy. I know this morning the time change messed everybody up and you're not as joyful as you would like to be this morning because of that. I understand that. But in spite of your fatigue, there is joy in this congregation and we see it as your pastors. We're thankful for it. But the church is also in the world to reveal God's worth by, secondly, reflecting God's word evangelistically to those around us that are lost. And the church is in the world to reveal God's worth by, thirdly, revealing God's word personally in the congregation. Encouraging one another in the congregation. Serving one another in the congregation. Caring for one another in the congregation. And as you'll see when I go through this in a few moments, that this one is very important. I would say this one is actually the key to the other two in the sense of, Displaying the worth of God in the world. If we receive it in here joyfully and we live in it here joyfully, we're going to go out joyfully and we're going to proclaim it. 
But we've got to make sure we understand what God wants us to do as a church. We need to understand it's to declare his great worth the way he ordained it. If I was going to sum up all those things, I would say this, that the church is in the world to spread God's fame evangelistically and reveal God's greatness personally in the church, in the congregation. This is our mission. Spread God's fame evangelistically and reveal God's greatness personally in the church. Now, this is a pastoral aside, if you will, all right? I know that most of you here, when I say that this is the the reason for the church, this is the mission of the church, is to reveal God's great worth by receiving the word, by reflecting the word, by revealing the word. This is our mission. You may be saying, great, that's right, that's godly, and that's good. But, but, I don't know where I fit in. I don't know that I can do what you're saying. I don't know that I have a role to play in this mission, right? If you're honest, that's what you're thinking at times. You may be tempted to think this at times. You may be tempted to think, where do I fit in God's great mission? How do I even contribute to this mission? I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a deacon. I'm not an evangelist. How do I fit into this mission? What's my place? I'm not on the worship team. I'm not teaching Sunday school. I'm just a member, as if there is such a thing as just a member of the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a mere member. Every member is essential to the body of Christ. You may be thinking, well, you don't understand, Randy. I'm, I'm just a parent. Like, you don't have a role to play in the mission of the church, in our church, with all these kids? Yeah, you have a mission. Or you may be thinking to yourself, okay, look, Randy, I'm not a parent. I'm not in the married category. I'm a single adult. I'm a student. How do I fit in? Is there a role for me to play in the body of Christ and our mission in this church? Absolutely. You've been placed in a mission field. All around you are students that you know, people your age, single or couples, that you are called to go into and declare with joy the things you receive here and share in personally. So you do fit into the church. And sometimes, though, I know it's a temptation to, to sit back and you see some prominent people who do some prominent things and you think, well, they got it under control. They don't really need me. I'm not really significant here. I can sit back and, and I'm just going to let them do the work or, or maybe they don't, they don't have any place for me because I can't even do any work. I, I, I can barely even make it here at times because of my job or my situation. I don't know what to do. What's my place? Do I... Do I have a role to play? And there are some people, I'm going to say, in particular that feel that way and some people who are about to feel that way in our congregation. And those people are moms. And there's some expecting moms here who may not really understand what I'm going to say now, but you will in a few months when the baby comes. Many of the moms feel at times when they come to church on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night that they do not have a role to play in this mission because all they're doing is wrestling children. All they're doing is wrestling a baby from the time they walk in to the time they leave, barely hearing a sermon, barely involved in fellowship. Maybe they're in the nursery the whole time. 
And they begin to wonder, is, is it even worth all this trouble for me to, to drag myself and my kid and come in here and sit down because I feel so disconnected at this point in time in my life? Now, I know this from experience, guys. My wife raised Isaiah as a single mom in that pew while I preached every Sunday. And she struggled. And she wondered. Am I even connected to the body? Is it worth all this trouble and sacrifice? I can't contribute to the mission. Yes, she did. She contributed to my mission. She was essential to my work. I couldn't have done it without her. Ladies, you need to remember, you are essential to the mission of God here in this church. All of you ladies... Sometimes ladies in general don't feel like they're connected to the mission or that they have a role to play in the mission. And I want you to understand something. You are essential to the mission of God in this church. God made you different than men. Praise God, right? God gave you things that men do not have. God gave you patience that I guarantee you most men in this room do not have. God has given you ladies compassionate hearts that most of the men in this room do not have. And I know one thing for certain, God has given ladies and moms in particular a sacrificial heart, sacrificial desire to magnify Jesus. And we need that example. All of us need those examples. Ladies, you are living illustrations of Christ's love. We need you. You're essential to the mission. Ladies, let me, let me tell you some ways that you're essential. You're essential when you faithfully serve and use your spiritual gifts within your God-given role by loving your husbands, by caring for your kids and all the other kids that come along during a Sunday morning service that land in your lap or that you're caring for in the nursery. You're faithfully serving us when you are edifying one another as women, when you're equipping one another as women through studies, through spending time together, through counseling one another. You're doing many things that men cannot do with women one-on-one, and you are needed, and you are essential to the mission of this church. And I want you to know that this morning. And the things that you do, we recognize and see, are sacrificial. The men should know that. If you don't know that, guys, you need to acknowledge that to your wives and to the ladies in our church. This is a sacrificial work that many women do in the church because they're not in the spotlight. They're behind the scenes, though. They're what keep things together in this church in many ways. And we need them. They're living examples of Christ's love. Their example of his sacrificial love is obvious in the way that they care for their families, the way they care for their husband. And that, through that love, the church is edified. Through that example, we are edified because it magnifies God's love for us. It, it magnifies God's mission then on the earth when you live like that, ladies. And we want you to know something. I want you to know something, and I know that all the other pastors want you to know this. Your, your labor will not go unrewarded. The Lord Jesus will reward you for your sacrificial love and care and fulfillment of your God-given roles in the church. So rejoice. You have a place and a reward waiting in heaven. You are greatly appreciated by us as well, though we probably don't tell you that enough, and we should. We should tell you it more often. 
Ladies, it's going to take time, though, with the raising of children for you to actually see the fruit of your labors. Your labor of love with your children will bring forth fruit by God's grace. Be patient, though. Don't grow weary of doing good. In due season, we, the church, will reap a harvest, a great harvest, if you don't give up. We need you. You're raising the next generation, pointing them to Jesus, and that will benefit this church and our mission on the earth. That's the ladies and the moms. But men, dads in particular, even though you don't have the same struggles as many women do when they come into a church, you have your own. You have struggles of your own. Just thinking about where do I fit in? Where do I serve? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. I'm just a faithful attender. Where can I serve? How can I contribute to the mission of the church? Well, you are contributing to the mission of the church by your faithfulness. When you're here leading your family to the church to be equipped to receive the word as it really is, the word of God, and then you begin to faithfully disciple your family at home from the things that you've heard, you're a part of the mission. Not only that, but when you men, and I'm saying men and dads in particular, but men of all stripe need to get this. You contribute to the work of the church and the mission that we have in the world when you make a living for your family and provide for them. That prepares them and equips them and protects them so that they can continue on serving Jesus in the ways that God ordains for them to do so in their roles and in this church. Not only that, men, when you contribute to the work of the church financially, you're causing the church and the mission to go forth into this world powerfully. And lastly, men, when you help your wife in the pew, in the chair, while the sermon's being preached by disciplining your child, taking them out when they need to, spanking them when they need that, correcting them, teaching them, listen to this point, sing this song, you are contributing to the future growth of our church and our power and witness in the world by the way you disciple your kids when you bring them here. So don't think for a second, men, that you're not serving in God's mission here. You're doing that. You're illustrating Christ's love for his bride when you do that. And you're setting a godly example for many other men in this congregation to follow when you do these things. When you faithfully lead your family, when you provide a living for them, when you support the church financially, when you help your wife practically in the pew. So I wanted to address these two pastoral asides because I think it's important that that we recognize how important every member is in the body of Christ, especially those who may feel at times that they don't think they have a place to serve. You do. We need you. All of you, whether you're a mom or a dad or a single or married or a young student, Your faithful participation in the church, and our church in particular, is important to our mission in the world in particular. Where he's placed us, where he's planted this church. Because we know that Paul tells us in Corinthians that God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So God chose you to be here, to be a part of this body, for a very specific purpose. 
It's not an accident. As Calvin would say, there's no such things as accidents. There's only opportunities and providence. And you're here by God's providence. And you have an opportunity to declare his great worth here in this church. So let's, let's move from that now, my pastoral aside, to how that each one of you can serve and reveal God's worth by going back to those three points that I gave you earlier. And I just want to go through these in a practical way with, with you this morning because I, I intend for this message to prepare you for future difficulties, future struggles, future victories, future missions. So think with me on these things. First of all, the church is in the world to reveal God's worth by, number one, receiving God's word joyfully as those saints did there in Thessalonians in 2.13. Now, how do you do that? Well, it doesn't come by osmosis. You don't come and you just show up here and you put your you know, your earbuds in and put your Bible over your head and all of a sudden, you know, you understand the sermon and the text. No, you come here and you have to hear the word preached. You get into the word. You listen as the sermon's being preached. It's an interactive activity. We're preaching. You're listening, but it's got to be active listening, right? So if you're going to fulfill God's mission, you can't do it without his direction. And that's what we're doing here. When you are receiving the word, As it really is, the word from God, when the word of God is accurately preached to you, God is speaking to you. Quit looking for any other voice. You have the voice of God when the word is accurately handled. The spirit is at work in you as you receive this from the Lord to accomplish his intended purposes. Now, for that to happen, it has to happen here congregationally to begin with. You understand, when you gather here corporately, though we would all as pastors like to come alongside each one of you and disciple you personally, we can't do that. There's just not enough time to do that. But this is how we disciple you corporately. We're discipling the church corporately when we gather so that you can go out and disciple others personally. Sounds a lot like Ephesians chapter 4. Equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Look with me there. Ephesians 4. I said that before I looked at my note to see that I had it written down. Sorry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Listen to this. This is is why we, we are coming and receiving the word and it should be joyful. We're coming here to get equipped to do the work of the mission. Verse 11 says, speaking of Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints. There's the reason that you have preachers, pastors, shepherds, elders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You're coming and you're receiving it and you're sharing it. You're being equipped by it. You're being protected by it. You're magnifying it as you share in loving people through it in the congregation, sharing it with the body, growing up in the love of God, the love of the truth. We have to have this. We have to have this because that's why the church is in the world. Number one, it's in the world. The church is left here on this planet after Christ ascended. To point people to his great worth. How are we going to do that apart from his word? We can't. So we've got to be equipped. We've got to be trained. We've got to be prepared for what comes against the word. So what do we do? We have to point people to the authoritative word of God. Not visions, not dreams, not emotional experiences. We point people to the authoritative, infallible, inerrant, all-sufficient, inspired word of God. Because in it... God magnifies his great worth. He magnifies his love, his authority, his sovereignty, his mercy, his grace. And that's how the church, that's how the church will reveal his worth in the world with joy, by going here. And we do that here in our church primarily, though today is a little different, but primarily through the faithful, sequential exposition of the Word of God, going book by book, line upon line, right? Normally, that's how we do it. Today, it's still being done, though topically. I'm telling you what these texts say so that you can listen and you can learn and then you can put it into application personally. I'm calling you to do that congregationally in this. Not me. God's calling you to do that as we read these texts. We speak the truth. We preach the word in season and out of season. We reprove, we rebuke, we correct with all understanding and mercy so that you would be equipped for the work of the ministry and the mission God's placed you into. So to do what we're called to do as a church, we have to receive the word. We have to receive it as it's being preached, as it's being taught. And we have to be equipped so that we can declare this great worth, reveal his great worth through it as missionaries in the world. That's why we come here. Listen, our our role as pastors, our role as pastors, our mission as a pastor is, is to disciple disciple makers. We can't do it all. So we try to disciple you, train you so that you can go do the work of the ministry joyfully. And when you have the right knowledge of the word of God, you have confidence, you have boldness, you have the word as your authority to speak into the situation with clarity, with with conviction. And that's what Peter actually calls for in first Peter three. Go there with me. First Peter three. I believe there's one guy in our church that would know this verse by heart. Three fifteen. But I want to read it to you and I want you to think about it a little differently in light of. How we receive the word, what the point of this is, is, is to produce something joyful in us. To magnify God's great worth in the world. Look what it says in 315. But in your hearts, honor or sanctify, set apart Christ the Lord as holy 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay. The purpose of our preaching and our personal discipleship, even in this text, I think is pretty clear. It's not just to win arguments. It's to reveal hope. It is, it is to be worshiping accurately, displaying the truth about Jesus accurately. That's worship. That's our hope. And when we know this truth, people will ask us about the hope that lies within us. And then we will give an apologia. We'll give an argument. We'll give a defense of the faith. Because we, having been washed in the word, have now been sanctified. Our minds are sanctified, are renewed. We have sanctified our hearts. We've sanctified Christ in our heart and honor him as Lord over our lives. And therefore, now we are not only eager, but we are equipped to declare his great worth evangelistically to the lost and through discipleship to the saints. So to fulfill our mission We have to be receiving the word of God joyfully like this so that we can worship as we go out evangelistically. That's my next point I want to look at. The churches in the world, secondly, to reveal God's worth by reflecting God's word evangelistically. Like the saints there in 1 Thessalonians 4. Go back there with me. Second, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? How do you know that? Well, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, you can think of that as even like the encouragement of other Christians. They're they're so excited about how they receive the word. They're going to the other churches and they're telling them about it. But he says, not only that. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. That's evangelism. For they themselves, it says, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how they received the word and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were faithfully After receiving the word, they were faithfully proclaiming God's worth through the word they received by joyfully sharing it with everyone. Evangelistically, they were going out into the world. Church, that's our desire as pastors. We pour a lot of information on you. We throw a lot of information at you. And we want to do that faithfully to honor Jesus who called us to preach the word in season and out. But we also want it to have its effect upon you is that we see in the church at Thessalonica that it would be received joyfully. 
so joyfully that you can't contain it. You've got to go share it. You've got to tell other Christians what you're learning. You've got to go tell the lost what you've understood by God's grace. You're motivated out of the joy to do this. As you faithfully grow in the knowledge of Christ here in our church, you, you want to be motivated by this so that you would be able to go out and worshipfully declare his greatness and his worth to the lost. Saints, listen. Lost people better see some hope in you if you're telling them there's hope in Christ. If you tell them there is good news, God has sent his son to take our place, to die our death, to rise from the grave and accept us into his presence by Christ's finished work. There better be joy in your heart. There better be joy in your life. There better be tears in your eyes if you really believe this gospel. If you believe this gospel, there is heaven to gain and there is hell to shun. And people you talk to every day are going there until you open your mouth and declare God's great worth in Christ. He may, by grace, make you that instrument, make you that one who plants the seed. He'll bring the increase. You're just called to be faithful With the message you've received. And I pray that as you are faithful in that, as you grow in your understanding of that, you'll start, you'll start to feel what Charles Haddon Spurgeon felt when he spoke about evangelism. I love Spurgeon. The guy can make every sermon he preached about the cross. He would get you to the cross. He'd make a beeline to the cross somewhere in there. And he had high, high, understanding of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And he wept over lost men. And so should we. Listen to what he said, and I pray that this somehow would convey a desire that I have for you to have the feeling that he has. And listen, sometimes we we de-emphasize feelings in Reformed churches. Right affections should follow right truth, right doctrine. If you love God and what he's done for you, you should have great, deep affections for God and what he can do for others. And we saw that in Spurgeon. Listen to what he says. By the love and wounds and death of Christ, by your own salvation, by your indebtedness to Jesus, by the terrible condition of the heathen and by that awful hell whose yawning mouth is before them, ought you not to say, here am I, send me, send me. Is that what receiving the word is doing in you today? Is it producing this kind of passion? Lord, you have graced me, now send me. I want to be your instrument of grace. This is the mission of our church. This is why we are on the earth. I want us to get that. I think you do, and I want you to enjoy it. I want you to rejoice in it. Just consider, God's given it to you in jars of clay so that the surpassing greatness would belong to him. You, though, are that jar of clay, carrying in your life, in your soul, the very words of eternal life to share with the lost. That's why you're in the church. That's why you're saved. That's why you're left here. 
You're left here to proclaim the good news of your Savior's work and his eternal worth and do it with joy. And I know evangelism is scary, primarily because it makes us feel uncomfortable, which is selfish. But do you think that Jesus was uncomfortable when he accomplished it? What did he do? He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And God has highly exalted his son as a result of his sacrifice. God will lift you up, help you overcome those fears. And your witness will be used to declare his greatness. Look, you can't determine if the people are going to receive it. You don't know. That's not your job. And listen, your role is just to be faithful with the message. And to do it for God's glory. God will take care of the fruit. He'll take care of what he wants to accomplish. But he will bless your faithfulness to this message. Because it exalts Jesus. And declares his great worth. That's all evangelism is. Let's take away the scary part. The intimidation, the fear, the trembling. At the end of the day, evangelism is just telling people about how great your Savior is. It's just talking about Jesus. That should not be scary to us if we know it. But are you receiving the word, taking it in enough that you can say it like you believe it? I pray that you are. I see that you are. But I want you to excel still more because this is our mission. This is our mission. And you don't have to be a preacher to do this. In an official capacity. Every one of you are preachers. You're witnesses for Christ. You're proclaiming Christ through your life, through your words. Every one of you can do that. You may not do it the way we do it. You may not do it here speaking to a group, a large group of people. But you may be the one who goes to the one, the one person that God has brought into your life. If if you think about this, if God is sovereign, since God is sovereign... Every person that comes across your path is sent by his design. It's not an accident. And if he sent them to you, it's so that you can make much of him. And listen, we stand here, we preach to a group of believers, I think for the most part. Yet we can't reach some of the people you meet every day. You may be the one God has ordained to reach the one that would never step foot into this place. You may be the one who goes after those who will not step foot in this place. You have a mission. And it should be moved by joy and by compassion. Take these words of truth and share them. That's why you have them. God will be exalted. Our mission will go forth. The reason that you exist and your joy will increase as you do this. God has bestowed on you the greatest blessing in the world. You are his ambassadors. You are God's chosen ambassadors for Jesus and his word in this world. Is that not absolutely astounding? Think about who you are, not many noble, right? We are the mundane. We are the down and out, the off scourge of the world. Yet he gave it to us to represent Jesus. And 
through our faithfulness, we get to declare God's great worth to the world around us. It's an amazing, amazing privilege that we have. There is no position in the world that's as great as this position, not in the world's system. We have the greatest position in the world. You represent the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the judge of the earth. You are his ambassadors of grace. So live like that. Rejoice in that. As you reflect that word you received, he will be exalted through your ministry. And I want you to understand how important that is. I want you to understand that... uh, we couldn't do this mission on earth without you rejoicing in this. As a church, we couldn't do it. So, so never, ever think that if you're not in an official capacity working in the church in some role, that you're not important. You are essential as Christ's ambassadors to the work of the church in the world. We need you. You are witnesses of Christ's great love and work. Your very lives testify to this. Your faithful witness It's what you can contribute. And your fellowship. And let me just say this about your fellowship. And I'm talking about attendance. Coming together regularly to encourage one another, to fellowship with one another, to speak to one another, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ together, one-on-one, after the sermon, before the sermon, after we go home, calling each other. That kind of fellowship is essential to the ongoing work of this church and our mission in the world. You should be sharing the gospel with one another out of joy, honing those skills, honing that ability to declare it to the world evangelistically. But I want you to know something. If you don't think you have any place to to serve, if you don't think you have an important role in the church, your faithful witness and your fellowship is much needed in this church. Your, Your testimony of faithfulness to this church encourages your pastors. You want to know who you serve every Sunday, how you serve the mission of the church? You show up. You receive the word and you respond. And then you show us the things that you have been learning through your life. We need that. We get discouraged. It's a shocker. All right. We have great highs in ministry and we have great lows in ministry. And you sometimes make the difference. When we labor in love for you, sometimes the outcome is not always what we want. And we need you to come alongside of us and encourage us. We need your faithful fellowship. Let me read to you what Spurgeon said again about that point And about the need for pastors to have fellowship in the ministry of the saints in order to fulfill their mission in the world. He says, who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking to the dust? Good men are promised tribulation in this world, and ministers may expect a larger share than others, that they may learn sympathy for the Lord's suffering people, and so it may be fitting shepherds for an ailing flock. We do sink at times under the weight of, of your burdens. But we get under those burdens because we want to. We want to help you. But at times we need you too. We need you to pick us up. And you do that through your faithfulness. 
And when you share your desires with us to serve and to witness and to work in the church and grow deeper in God's word as we've been teaching you, that encourages us as pastors. That's your mission in the church. You encourage even us so we can fulfill our mission in the church and in the world. Look, when you do that, I want you to know this. When you tell us your testimonies, when you tell us the things that you're growing in as a result of the things we've taught you, here's what this does. This this produces a treasury in our hearts as pastors. You become pastoral treasures that give us hope and fuel us when we are weak in our work. We need you in the work of the church. We need you in the mission to the world. You have no idea how often you you bless us. How often you rescue us from giving up and growing cold. When you share your testimony, when you share your hunger for the word with us, it fuels our hearts, pushes us past the dark times and into the light of God's grace. You remind us when you do that, that our work is not in vain. And in that, you remind us of the church at Thessalonica. You remind us that you have received the word as it truly is, as the word of God. And it's moved you personally even to minister to your pastors. That's my third point here. Let's look at that. The church is in the world to reveal God's word by thirdly, revealing God's word personally. That's what I'm talking about. Just like the saints that we see actually in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Let me read this to you. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, talking to the congregation. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Do you think that you have a role to play in that list? Verse 14. Do you think there are people in our church that need to be admonished? They're lazy? Yeah. Do you think there are people in our church that also need to be encouraged because they're faint-hearted? Yeah. Are there weak people who need help? Yeah. Are there people that you need to be patient with? Absolutely. Your pastors might be in that category. But look, in this what we see, and the testimony of the church at Thessalonica, we see the importance of personal encouragement in the mission of the church. It's essential. We can't go out into this world as a unified body unless we are caring for one another personally. We need each other to fulfill our mission in the world. We need personal interaction. We need personal edification. It's essential to this work that we're called into. Because the work that we're called into is to go forward in love. And if our hearts are not knit together in Christ's love personally, out of the things that we grow in corporately, spiritually, theologically, then we're not living out the witness of the world that we're called to go into. We're called to glorify God, Christ in particular, by loving one another in the world, by caring for one another through the church. I'm going to take you to a text that I took you to Wednesday night to reiterate this point. Colossians 3, verse 12, talks about the importance 
of taking the word that you've received, the word that you're going out and reflecting in the world, and then now revealing through the work that you do in the church, he's saying, look, this is important that you understand that you are revealing the love of Jesus when you do these things. You're magnifying Jesus when you put these things on. And that's what the world will see as a result of God's grace at work in a church body. And they will ask you at that church, What in the world is this hope that you guys have? None of you have anything in common except Jesus. Yet you gather and you have fellowship and you serve one another and you sacrifice for one another. What is the deal? Well, I'll tell you. We've been made one in Christ. By his grace, he has taken those who are separated by their sin. And he has united us at the cross. Look what it says in 312. He says, this is the importance of putting on Christ-like love here. Put on then as God's chosen ones, picked out by God, holy, set apart for God, and loved, highly prized by God. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on agape, love, which binds or cinches everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule, dominate, umpire, direct in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Give ample room for it teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. doesn't say individually. He's talking about corporately in your hearts as you gather together and care for one another by putting these things on, having dwelt in the word together corporately. Now live it out practically. Put it on display. That's the implication of this text. Why is this important? Because this is how the world will know we belong to Jesus, our love for one another. The way we interact, the way we care for one another, we are to put on Christ and the power of his love. That's our mission. This is key to our mission. We've got to put our love into action practically. And let me tell you what that means pastorally here for a second. For us to put the things on that we see there in Colossians 3, 12 to 16. That means we need to be close enough to one another. In our fellowship, in our relationships. That we can carry one another's burdens. We'll know how. We'll actually know what they are. We have to be close enough to know that others have burdens in this church. Not only that. If you're the one burdened, you have to be willing and able and close enough to those around you to bear your burdens to them. Because we can't help you if we don't know at times. You have to be able to bear those burdens, those fears, your failures, your doubts, your scars. You need to be able to share those openly without fear and find comfort, genuine comfort in the bearing of these things. As others bear them up with you and lovingly correct you, but never coming to condemn you. You need to have the freedom and the closeness to do these things, even when those things are self-inflicted, which most of these are. 
You need to be close enough to one another that you can not only help one another in times of difficulty, but that you can rejoice together in Christ's victory. And the victories that he grants you over sin, we need to be close enough that we actually know that's going on, that we can see it happening and we can rejoice with those who rejoice. And we need to be close enough to others to actually be able to point out the evidences of God's grace at work in their lives. I mean, are you that tightly knit in love that you can identify evidences of grace in the person next to you and rejoice in it, but that you can carry their burdens and weep with them in it and point them to Jesus? This is important. As I said, it's because... This is what Jesus said would testify to the world that we are his disciples. Our love for one another displays Christ's worth. And that's why we are in the world. That's our mission, to declare the greatness of God's grace and worth in Christ. But to do that, we have to cultivate it. This, again, doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't come by just sitting next to somebody on a Sunday morning. It'd be great. Wouldn't it be great if you just had to put your church clothes on and you came here and then you never, you know, had to interact with anybody and actually bear your burdens, bear your flaws? Now, that'd be simple. That's that's called a club meeting. And you can do that someplace else. This is a hospital for the hurting. We ought to be able to come with our burdens and our scars and bear them to one another. And not try to just put on church clothes and show up and look like it's OK. We got it all together. We've got to be able to see the needs and point to the word of God. And we need to live out that love that we've received in Christ practically. Because if we don't, we come here and you guys hear a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine here. And if we aren't careful, we'll become all head and no heart. And that is a dysfunctional body. We have to be a functional body. Head and heart need to be tied together and it needs to move our feet into action. To care for one another. That's how we're going to fulfill our ultimate mission here on the earth. To declare God's great worth. We have to do it with a united voice. We have to come together to declare his greatness to the world in unity. Because the world will see hypocrisy. We can admit we have differences. We have disagreements. We have arguments. But we have Christ as the arbiter. He comes in. To say, you're both wrong. Listen to me. And we find unity. And we can declare with one voice his glory. When we are gathered here personally, caring for one another, receiving the word. And then we can reflect it to the world. That's what we're called to do. And you serve in that through your faithful encouragement. Your personal care for one another. And I want to end with this. I want to say this to you just so you know. This is not a sermon to rebuke. This is really a sermon to exalt Christ and encourage you. Because I want you to know that your pastors, when we gather for our elders meetings, we often give thanks for you. And we give thanks for the same reason the Apostle Paul gave thanks. We see the word of God at work in you. We see that you have received the word of God that we proclaim as it truly is, is God's sovereign ministry of mercy and power magnified in you by his grace. And we see it because you receive it joyfully and you receive it evangelistically and you receive it personally. And you're putting those all together. You as a church, by God's grace, for his glory, are fulfilling God's mission for our church in 
this world. Can you do better? Absolutely. Can your pastors do better? Absolutely. But God is at work in you. It's through you that we can see that God is working. God's worth is being revealed to the world through sovereign grace. In this, your pastors rejoice. We give you thanks for submitting. And ultimately, we give God praise for bringing it to fruition in your lives. So let's give him thanks in prayer as I conclude. Heavenly Father, you, you have brought us together in Christ, united by his work to go into the world so that we can declare your great worth. And God, this church is benefiting from your mercy and your grace. As we receive the word, we want to continue to exalt in it and live it out among one another in this congregation so that Jesus is made much of and that your name is exalted through your church, which is your design and your plan. And it's all to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.